0: Namo tassa pakavatu varhatu sammasan bhuta Namo tassa pakavatu varhatu sammasan bhuta Namo tassa pakavatu varhatu sammasan bhuta dhammaṃ these rituals every fortnight we monks come together we chant the Patimoka and think about our lives as seminars and so for the lay people too time to consider like your social life your moral life how you're relating to the world kind of uh, what's skillful in your relationships what's unskillful where the difficulties lie um, and not just in a sense of uh, um, morality but also just a sense of what is life in general doing to your mind you know, the way you relate to people and are the results good or not and what, how could you live the social part of your life in a way which is more and more uh, fruitful for the well-being of yourself and others and um, That's the kind of social part, which is a huge project in itself. And of course, what enhances that is the work, the inner work of self-inquiry, the inner work of understanding how the mind ticks, how it works, uh, and then figuring out what you need to do not to be preoccupied with the mind's with all the objects of mind, and turn towards that which is uh, truly peaceful and truly... uh, which isn't dependent on the mind-object. objects. is the task of liberation. So it's an inquiry into how things work and how to let go of things, as I was saying on uh, yesterday's talk, I guess. Uh, and so self-inquiry isn't, isn't just about the objects of mind. It's not like you're just aimlessly fascinated with your emotions and the, the moods of the mind. That's not the, the real point of it, because the mind objects are endless. There's no real liberation in, in an object, because all objects are, are contingent, they're dependent on other objects, whether it's an emotion, a thought, a feeling. Um, a taste, a sound, a smell, a bodily sensation, a memory, a perception, an idea, a conclusion, a doubt. They're all mind objects, uh, objects that arise and cease in consciousness. And the Buddhist teaching is always pointing to that uh, fragility and dependency and uh, unreliability of, of objects, of objects of sense. So without dismissing the sense experience, because we do live in a sense world, so understanding that how, how can we do that well, but then also, um, is there a way to not be always preoccupied with sense objects? And that self-inquiry is different than uh, a self-analysis about why I get angry, or uh, why I'm so afraid, or, or why I obsess with this or that. Certainly you have to sort that out. So if you have obsessive compulsion disorder, you have to sort that one out. Uh, Or if you're always just uh, getting angry at people and you're having hostile states of mind to other people, you're going to have to somehow figure it out. But, because the problem is not so much the anger, hostility, fear, or obsession, it's the... the, In Buddhism, I mean it is a problem because you just can't live in the world in any way which is peaceful or, or productive or happy. But but more than that, this this tendency of the mind to always be out in objects, in thought, in emotion, in memory, in analysis and judgment, in uh, sounds and sights and entertainments and uh, resentments, all that mind going always outside, um is is Necessary, but is also to some extent hopeless. There's no hope in that, in for transcendence in that which is dependent. Not hopeless in the sense of abject depression, but it's just the wrong place to look. So, say if one has got kind of deep anger issues, certainly that has to be addressed, and uh, has hostile states of mind, and then uh, the thing there is is. Not so much even analyzing, but just not believing that it's anyone's fault—neither the person you get angry at nor your own fault—and begin to have the capacity to give it space, to be the witness, to know it as anichadu panata. And you can see if you can't do that, then then it's pointless. You can't—that's a kind of one o one, isn't it? Taking taking responsibility for one's inner world and and not creating a self around it. That's Buddhism 101. Which is quite, quite a huge thing for humanity. It's not so terribly easy. But you see, as long as I, as long as I just... Like, let's say, I have fear issues or, or jealousy issues, as long as I think, uh, I believe in that, that I'm someone who has that, or I project it outwards and believe that my anger is your fault, there is no possibility of freedom. Absolutely none. So, taking responsibility means you look at it objectively. It's not, it's not like um, being irresponsible. So it doesn't really matter if I'm angry and I hurt you, or I always run away from life. It doesn't really matter. It's just that preoccupation with that way of operating will always lead you to the same modes of suffering. you always be trapped in that limitation. And the point of the Buddhist teaching is is this beautiful sense of silence and peace that we can experience as human beings. It's there if we learn not to be preoccupied with sense objects. So it's very difficult if someone has obsessive-compulsive disorder, right? It's very hard not to to be obsessed and compulsive. So we have therapies that deal with that, and so on. So the, the kind of Buddhism 101, in terms of um, self inquiry is to not take it personal. So if I'm angry at you, and I can't see that it's not your fault, and it's not my fault, it's simply an object arising in consciousness, if I can't do that, then I haven't really started to practice. I might have a practice of morality and not hurt someone, or I might hurt them, but I don't really understand how to observe say, anger as an object. This is an object. Same as the, the cold on my face from the wind this is an object in awareness. The uh, feeling of a sliver of wood in my finger is an object in awareness, isn't it? It can be known, right? And the subjectivizing, that's a terrible word. Uh, anyway, making a, making a subject out of it is the problem. And the, and the subject could be, you know, I hate myself or I hate you, but it's still uh, preoccupation. Whereas non-preoccupation, as I was saying, I like I like that idea better than non-attachment or non-grasping. To me, it's a more doable idea. Non-preoccupation is that you're not, you're not, you know, you're, you're recognising that there is this defilement of mind that has arisen, but you're you're not preoccupied with it. You know it in the context of space, and of sound, and of memory. You know it as an object. Now, to bear witness to that, it takes a lot of courage, patience, but mostly it takes intelligence, wisdom. To, to realize that, uh, that anger is something that will arise and cease, and not to blame anyone is an intelligent response to our suffering, rather than a uh, blind response. You know, it takes intelligence. This is a very intelligent teaching intelligence to just be with your own anger and say this will change. It's not their fault, it's not my fault. And, you know, I could blame my mother or my father or the President of the United States or the President of Canada or the Prime Minister of Canada or whoever, but anger is anger. Anger is an anger. So getting away from the narratives, we constantly say that in Western culture, which is very good. There's a difference between the narrative of, and I'm just using anger as an example, it could be anything else. Um, obsessing, wisdom, whatever. But uh, it, it's this, this, this kind of very uh, intelligent way of seeing this is an object. And the way we do that is we, we do that with ordinary uh, sense experience. The object of cold. And that's what you have to train. you have to train in the areas where uh, life isn't threatening, life isn't overwhelming, just to, to begin to see to be to see that the sense experience is an object that arises and ceases, rises and ceases, arises and ceases. And if you do that with the ordinary, then as extraordinary things come up like anger, you'll see the narrative. The narrative is extra. It's something you're adding from defilement, from ignorance, from habit. And that just perpetuates the suffering. It just goes on and there's no end to it. Even the idea of having to analyze your mind, why do I have so much anger, is still a preoccupation with anger. Right? Uh, or thinking that you shouldn't be angry is still a preoccupation with anger. But knowing anger is anger, there's a, there's a space. So how do you get to that point? How do you get to that point of wisdom 101? How do you do that? Well, you have to understand that and then you need some kind of a viable method that you repeat a million times a day. Okay, two million. <laughs> you just got to do it a lot. And, and what do you have to do? You have to keep awakening the mind, don't you? And, and so the tradition, there are many traditions of doing this. There's the counting of beads, the um, mantras, and all kinds of ways. One. One way to do that is to realize that when you, when you bring a doubt into your mind that stops thinking if you don't know the answer. So if I, if I bring a doubt into the mind, I'm sitting meditating, I say when is the next moment? That's a question. When is the next moment? Now if you try to answer it, well the next moment is the next moment, that's thought. But if you just use that question, when's the next moment? It has no answer, but the mind is present, it's silent. Doubt does that, doubt can do that. If you, don't need, if you need an answer, you're finished. So the, the, in, in the Advaita, Sri Ramana tradition, who am I? Uh, if you try to find an answer to that, then you're preoccupied with the, with the furniture. But if you just like if you if you're uh, if you're feeling anger, anger comes up and you ask who's angry? And there's no answer to that because there's no person that's angry, there is simply anger. And you can say, I am angry, well, who said that? Well I said that, who said that? So the question if you don't look for an answer brings you to silence. It doesn't put an end to the anger, it puts an end to the narrative. To put an end to the anger, you have to bear witness to the anger until its fuel is burnt out. So, if I've, if I've uh, indulged in, or gotten caught up, or believed in anger for 20 years, then, and I start with Buddhist 101, who is angry, it might take me 18 years to work that out. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalence is, it depends. But that's not the issue. The issue is, how do I get to right understanding? And right understanding is, this is an object. And I, I don't own it. It's it's natural. It arises because The problem is, it stinks. <laughs> Anger is unpleasant. I don't want it in my life. And because I don't want it, I start to make the narratives around it. Or I use the distractions that I use, or I run away from life, or I... I just boil, and fume, and remain angry at people in various kinds of narratives, and then I'm lost. So then, once having established the sense of awakened mind, who's angry? Or when is the next moment of anger? It doesn't matter what you say. It does matter, yeah. But you have to kind of do that all day. You have to just keep doing it, because the narratives of delusion are all day. They're not just like the narratives of delusion don't just arise, you know, every two two hours. They're just there all the time, aren't right? they? You know blah 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 resentments and resentments and, and so on and so forth. Uh have you got have you you know have you got some method which brings you to awakening? And then do you have faith in that? That you can sustain it all day, all day, all day. You keep doing it, you keep doing it. Have you got anything like that? Because if you don't, how do you do it? How do you wa- awaken away from the narratives? Or does your do, is your is your thinking process just constantly in self narratives? If it is in self narratives, sometimes it's fine. They are they are they are seemingly benign, right? But if your mode of operating is always in self narratives, then when you do have fears and angers and resentments and so on, what's the mind going to do? The mind's going to go to narratives driven by self-view, ignorance, but driven by this emotion called fear, or anger, or self-doubt, or resentment, or blah blah blah. So there's a price to pay for heedlessness. It's not an immoral thing to to be in self-narratives, but we would say it's a careless thing. you have to be careful. so it's not—it's not so much like punitive or repressive. It's more like a a, a cha- like I, you know, the, the ideas of craft. It's more like a craft of the mind. How can you how can you do this work of awakening constantly, like like being on a knife edge constantly, which is which is an interesting challenge. So the the, the self narratives of of. of, of of self-criticism would go, oh, there I go on thinking again. But that's not awakening. That's just more self-narrative. Whereas the the practice of awakening is who said that? Or whatever you like to do. So I I, I was saying on on Saturday, I "I, I use constantly, this is in-awareness. This experience is in-awareness. And that works for me to create or to remember space as opposed to form is in awareness. Constantly, constantly during all the time. Momposimary is silent silence constantly, holds it for long periods of time. Um, so first of all you have to you have to uh, understand what the awakened mind is, right? And if you get that, then you have to return to that in in ways which 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 suit which are which are particular to your to your need the kind of the kind of person you are the kind of um, narratives your mind goes into right you so you have to you know self inquiries around that where where does my where does heedlessness take root in in in, in the experience of consciousness where does heedlessness where where do, where do I, what kind of narratives do i get really sort of enmeshed in. So that's a good inquiry. It's not it's not a self disparaging inquiry. Uh like, oh I shouldn't be thinking. No, no. What so you're you're observing, uh you're you're, you're watching cause and effect, and you say, oh yeah, self view, self narratives always go into worry or 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 fantasy or creativity or aversion or whatever it might be. You see, oh yeah, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern. The mind likes to go down that pathway. It's probably just a few. There's not that many. The narratives would be many. Because you can be, at ang- you can be angry at ten people in an hour. So you can have ten narratives of anger. But actually the underlying novel is the same, isn't it? It's just anger. So once you, get, once you take responsibility this way, and you're looking at stream of consciousness, then you're practicing what we mean by looking at the five khandas. You're no longer practicing in the um, uh, sense of me and you as individuals. You're looking at stream of consciousness. Five khandhas. Mind-body experience. The ayatanas. There's different ways to talk about it. And you're seeing that stream of consciousness arises, 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 ceases, And that's all natural. Anger is natural. Fear is natural. Love is natural. Uh, thought is natural. There's, there's, not, there's nothing right or wrong in it. But if if we are simply interested in the objects of, of mind, okay, but that's not really what the Buddha was pointing to. He said, yeah, you know, create some good objects, do some metta practice and be generous and, and uh, paint a few tankas, maybe or something like that, keep you concentrated. But the, 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 the realization of that deep peace of the mind is the non-grasping of objects of sense objects, of mind objects, of emotions, and so on. Or the non-preoccupation with it. So if you start to do that, you say, oh yeah, like, who's who's angry? You still feel the anger, but you start to get some space. Or when is the next moment of anger? That's maybe too long. Or anger is in-awareness. Something. Something to bring you to awaken mind. It might be a, a visual image of the of like the, the ocean and a fish in the ocean or whatever you like. I don't work that way. But say you, you you say use something like that, that self-question, who's thinking? And don't try to find an answer and see, well, that's the moment of awakening. Because you've now, you've asked a question, you've raised it into consciousness, and there's no answer, but your mind's alert. It's present, it knows. And that's it. That's what you have to trust in. Of course... Desire doesn't, doesn't function that. Desire wants to change the objects. It wants to reorganize them, and so the attachment to desire then is believing that if I just blame someone, or blame myself, or have a compensation, then I'll get, I'll get past the suffering. But you won't. You'll just be in another object. So then, you figure out, okay, are there any objects which, if I paid attention to them, would they be helpful to cool the mind? So, to cool the mind from the heat of anger, and yeah, yeah, to 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 when the mind isn't angry, to actually cultivate sense of connection, to look at people and say, well, he suffers like I suffer, or yeah, you know, she she gets upset like I get upset, and. She doesn't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. The loving connection which we can have to human beings, but that's not a dismissal of anger or trying to get rid of anger. No, it's putting in a different tone of the mind when it's appropriate. And you quite often can't do that when you're angry, because it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't feel right. But you can do it when you're not angry. You can do that, and so you figure out ways to make conscious. Uh, wholesome states of mind, which would be a balancing, a cooling maybe in this case of the other. So if you know if I'm not if I'm not in an angry mood and I pick up a practice of like I the way I do metta bhavana, is I I breathe in, I think of Sumedho, I breathe out, may he be well. I do that for five breaths and then, then I'm in the heart of compassion. Now if I do that for half hour every day, an hour every day, uh, not as a, some kind of sentimental thing, but as a very real, felt, heart-centered uh, relationship to the world, um, then when anger comes up, that's going to impact my heart, and I'm going to have more chance to know anger as a, as a contraction, as a different kind of energy from this other energy of, of may I be well, may you be well, so that gives a tone to the mind, which helps me with anger. But I'm not trying to get rid of anger by having love because it's absurd. It doesn't work that way. Just you get really cynical that way. But I, I can have different. Like if you if you perceive someone as being creepy or you don't like them, how do you change that perception? Like if you're angry at them, you can't. But you can step away from it, and then you you can see the every time you think of. Uncle Uncle Sam, you have the feeling of Uncle Sam being creepy, and you can see it. but Uncle Sam suffers. You can move your perceptions. You don't always have to have, no person is one thing. So you can move your perceptions to another idea. But that you usually have to do when you're fully conscious. You can't really, it's hard to do it when you're angry, you just have to fume for a while. But you're not fuming all the time, lots of times you're not angry. So what do you do in those interspaces? What do you do? Well. You you figure out practices to heighten those attitudes, which are very very necessary for for balancing. So so metta bhavana is brilliant for anger and fear. You know what what is fear? Fear is fear, alienation. Um, uh, I'm afraid of you. Will you like me? And da 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 da. And then I and I I'm not around anyone. I'm in my own kuti. I don't feel fear. Then I think yeah, but you suffer. May you be well. May you be free from suffering. And that relationship of fear starts to change, because I don't perceive you as a threat in that sense. I perceive you, but I, if I'm in the midst of fear, then I just have to witness it until it, until it runs its course. And that's what people mistake sometimes, the practices of metta bhavana as being some kind of sentimental overlay on the real, real feelings of rage and anger and fear. We feel No, it's not that. It's a time and place. And and these are skillful things that the Buddha offered us. They're very very skillful things, but they have to, you know, they have to come from a sense of awakening. They can't just come from a sense of getting rid of. And I think that's where metta bhavana is misunderstood. Where you try to use metta bhavana to kill anger. <laughs> it's just an oxymoron. Whereas to awaken to anger feeling this way, and then. When you have the 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 clarity to shift your perception, so sometimes you're really angry. I can't do anything. You just have to go on a walking path and be furious for a while. Okay, yeah, that's that's all right. That's allowed. But then you can you can sometimes the anger it's just annoyance, and then you look at the person. There's a feeling of annoyance, and you shift from the averse mind to yeah. But you know I sometimes am this way or. I I don't like to suffer, or I don't like pain, this person doesn't like pain. You shift your perception in mid-flight. And that's beautiful, that's absolutely beautiful. When your mind wants to go down the pathway of, in this case, I was talking about aversion, anger, you see the aversion, and now you change it. You change the perception. Yeah, that's true, that person is annoying in that way, but also, they're doing their best, or... You know, they've got these childhood experiences and hence or they've got the flu or they're overworked or whatever. You know how when when, when when someone's in a grumpy mood and you're feeling annoyed at them and then someone tells you that, you know, their their mother and father died yesterday. <laughs> Somehow the grumpy mood isn't so bad anymore, is it? Because you're you're in a context of love, that's you in the context of compassion, no longer in the context of you shouldn't be that way because of my needs. And that changing that context is hard sometimes of the anger. But then you learn to do that then, so in those situations where you just feel annoyed, you you awaken to the annoyance and then see, can you shift your perception of this person? Right? In mid-flight. And that's not so much about the person, it's about the way your mind works you know, because each, each iteration of annoyance that comes up, if you always follow it with annoying thoughts, well then you're a victim, you're a total victim to that. But if you see, okay, I see that, you know, I, I tend to be critical, I tend to be angry, uh, I get annoyed very easily, I fume, and I do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I notice that so that's where, where where my mind keeps going to, keeps going to criticism and judgment that. and that. Okay, that's where the self-narratives are. What could I do? What could I do to awaken to the narratives and start to put other things in there? It's very creative. But it's not from trying to get rid of it. It's from awakening. From intelligence. It's you know, a kind of intelligent thing to do. It's not from just not wanting to be angry either. That's, that's very nice. It's a good motivation. But it isn't so simple because the, the power of defilements is deeply rooted in our history, in our consciousness, from wherever. So we're dealing with some pretty fiery stuff sometimes. Um, But I think, first and foremost, there has to be the awakening to this as an object. From there, you can do right practice. If you never awaken, you're usually just reactive. You're reactive from uh, wanting things to be other than they are. But awakening is not a demand that things be other than they are. It's just a knowing. knowing. It's just in-awareness, who's thinking, and what's it like. And then from that you can just be that witness, be open, allow this thing to move through awareness. That's a very powerful practice, not try to fix it. But sometimes you'll find that your mind just loves to go down those avenues, so you start to create other avenues, other avenues where uh, even though you have the intention, you don't want to go down the anger avenue, your mind always does that, you create other avenues that the mind likes to go down. Practice, they're doing metta bhavana or um, generosity or whatever you want. So the pathways of the mind can be developed. Now, the, the awareness is not a pathway, it's the space within all, you know, where pathways come and go. So, the more you can come to the awakened mind and bear witness to change, the more you find the deep silence of the mind, the more you can do that in the midst of a noisy emotion, or whatever, that's harder to see. Um, so taking responsibility and self-inquiry is a, is a mature, intelligent thing to do. Uh, believing that the problem lies outside of me with my, my family, or my mother, or my father, or or the other members of my family, or, or or other people around me, is not an intelligent response. It might be true at some psychological level. So if I, like let's say I suffer from anger because my my uh, someone in my family is very, very violent, or something like that. True. Yeah, that's where it is. But, again, knowing that, how do I free myself from that? Certainly not through blame. That's not going to free me. It might be true. But how do I free myself? And how do I free myself is not picking up the narrative and, and being patient with this burning which I have to feel for some reason. So not dismissing historical perspectives, um, but seeing that whatever the historical perspective, now is the time I, I can deal with it. Now that I, I, I can be awake to it uh, and try to liberate it from the heart. It's very hard work, this, this Buddhism. It's not easy. It's... it's uh, because there's no, there's no escape, really. Once you start this, you can't really go to the pub anymore. I used to, in the early years of Thailand, being a monk, I just, I just don't want this Buddhism anymore. I, just, I want to go to a pub, drink beer, and eat salted eggs. <laughs> At the Embassy Pub, actually. I just want to forget about this, but you can't. Once you, once you start in the path, It's like, you know, this this bell that we have here, the the Ratanakosin bell, the second bell, the secondary bell. It has these nagas, right? The nagas are are the the handles, actually, the four handles. And the idea is when you hear the Dhamma, it's like a serpent's got you. And until you're free, the serpent's not going to let you go. (laughs) The nagas have got you. And that's the. The downside of getting into dharma is that you 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 can't blame anyone, you can't escape. Your only your only hope is liberation. But it's a, it's a good. <laughs> the other the others you're just delaying the inevitable, really. So it's a it's a it's it's a, it's a teaching which is mature in that in the, you 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 have to own up to your stuff, don't you? You really have to own up to your stuff, not in a self disparaging way, but more in a Okay, that's what my mind does. All right, how am I going to work with that? And 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 that maturity is like I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah, you know. Okay. So get a lot of, I get uh, I get, I get frightened a lot by life or whatever, or I get angry. Okay. What's the long? How can I in the long term make the causes and conditions for the end of suffering? What do I have to do now? Rather than think there's some kind of facile result or blaming. Right? There's no facile way to do this. We. Virajan Chah's biography the, the battle he went through was lust and it was incredible the lustful images he had to bear with and, and the endurance he had around that came out of it he, had, you know, he was a free man and a great sense of humor around it too <laughs> so he wasn't like repressed or anything he understood that energy but he had he had to do battle with it very kind of brave and we're in that kind of tradition of of, of of um, l- looking at you know, these things and taking responsibility. We're in a very strong tradition, right? You know, that's that's very much our ethos to do that. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. <coughs> <laughs>